0: you know, that's something that we need to consider. Um, As we go through this, continue to go through this book, the idea, again, the title, The Christian Looks at Himself, um, is to say, guys, realize who we are in Christ. We shouldn't be uh, in the the dungeon of despair ever. Um, We shouldn't um, let ourselves feel dogged down and And beaten down and victorious, you know, not not victorious, but just beaten. We shouldn't feel that way. But we can never, and we must not let the fact remain that this is not about us. It's about our glorious Lord and Savior who has made all this possible about us. So as we realize who we are in Christ and then rejoice in that truth, it should cause us, to want to worship him and thank him, okay? Well, last week, we covered Paul's concept of the old man and new man. And in doing so, we clarified with uh, Dr. Hokuma's help that as Christians, we no longer have any part of the old man in us. We are not part old man, part new man as Christians. Rather, we only act behave and think like an old man sometimes. But that's not who we are. It's not who we are in our risen and victorious Lord. So today, we're gonna continue in the same vein of thought as we were last week, this uh, comparing and contrasting uh, two different power spheres, if you will. We'll get into that here in a minute, but we men, we women and, and children in Christ, were new creations, and only the new man is alive as we've had our spiritual lives born again. So, and well, the title of chapter four, which is where we are in Hocum's book, is Life in the Spirit. So we who are in Christ Jesus, we're no longer enslaved to sin. We knew that, we talked about that last week. We are to become grown up in every way, in Christ. Scripture tells us that. We are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. All our strength, our hope and power, to do good is found in Christ. In J.I. Packer's a work called Concise Theology. Uh, He writes about the Holy Spirit's role as helper, okay? Well, before Jesus's passion, uh, his his suffering, he promised that the Father and he would send his disciples another helper. Uh, The word that's used there can be translated helper, uh, that's what it says in the ESV. You also could say counselor. The, the father in him would send another helper. Uh, the helper is one who is, well, someone who helps. He's an advisor, a strengthener, an encourager, our ally in, and an advocate as well. The fact that Jesus calls him another helper points to the fact that Jesus was the first helper, first counselor, or the Greek word being uh, paraclete. So Jesus is promising a replacement who, after he is gone, will carry on his teaching and testimony that he started in the lives of those who would believe uh, the, this helping ministry of the Holy Spirit is, by its very nature, it's personal. Uh, it is a relational ministry, and it implies the the full personhood of the one who's fulfilling this, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. When we look in the Old Testament, um, it, through it, there's there's much that is said about the activity of the Spirit. Um, he, you can read about his activity in creation, um, and in revelation and revealing God's will, uh, the enabling service given by the Holy Spirit. We see that him enabling Moses, enabling uh, the various judges, uh, enabling the prophets. And we also see the Spirit's work as, uh, even in the Old Testament, this the inward renewal of things. Um, Ezekiel, um, and we'll go over a passage there in a minute, talks about that work. The Spirit does. Um, but the whole... The Old Testament didn't make it as clear as the New Testament does about the Holy Spirit being a distinct divine person. Not as clear as it's made in the New Testament. The New Testament becomes clear that the Spirit is truly a person distinct from the Father as is the Son. Uh, This is apparent not only in Jesus' promise of sending another Helper, But also in the fact that the Spirit, among other things, he does things. Like he speaks. Uh, We see that throughout the the New Testament. But we see it really powerfully and and vividly in the book of Acts, don't we? All the stories and and the lives lived through these disciples and apostles. We see the Spirit teaching and witnessing. Searching. Searching our hearts. um, Interceding. And we also know that the Spirit can be lied to he can be grieved only a personal being can have these things said of it Um, this reality is closely knit with being a new man in christ and living in the holy spirit which is what this chapter is focusing on life in the spirit Uh, paul argued in romans 6 which we talked about last week is that the old man was crucified with Christ. and The believers, therefore, no longer a slave to sin because of that. Well, in uh, Romans eight and chapter nine, uh, we see that being argued more deeply. The believer is, is someone whom the spirit of life in Christ that Jesus you know, has, has set free from the law of sin. Christ does that through his spirit in the life of the believer. No longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. So before we're made born again in Christ, the old man uh, who is enslaved to sin, well, he's alive and well in us. And likewise, we're living in the power of the flesh. So there's a similarity there of living in the power of, In the reign of the flesh at the same time being enslaved to sin. But after we come to saving faith in Christ, the old man's dead, the new man is alive, new man's alive, being purified and still enslaved, but now enslaved to the Lord. We are slaves of Christ. We belong to him. And likewise, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So before we were converted, we were the old man was alive and well, and we were living in the reigning power of the flesh. But now, after conversion, the new man's alive and well. The old man is dead. No longer living in the reigning power of the flesh, but in the power, the reigning power of the Holy Spirit. So there's that, that contrast. So that's why, really, we're just carrying on the theme that we did last week. But now we're talking about life in the Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul uh, asks a question, um, and he's talking about the flesh and the spirit. So, what is he getting at? What is Paul getting at when he talks about flesh and spirit? Uh, our the author of our book here, Hokima, Hokima, he asserts that we should not think of these two terms, flesh and spirit, as contracting aspects within the nature of man, but as two contrasting power spheres, okay? These are two contrasting power spheres that want to reign over your life. That's what he's arguing, how we should view um, life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Uh, Hermann Ritterboss explains that apart from the coming of Christ, man is by nature under the domination of the flesh. That's how we are born um, as progeny uh, of Adam. We are dominated by the flesh. Um, He says, Ritterboss, that this, it should be emphasized uh, not to man's, regarding man's physical nature, but to his whole being being under the power of sin. But when Christ came He argues, he says, when Christ came, he ushered in a new way of living, which is called life in the spirit. And that's where we want to be. That's the focus this morning. to be in the spirit means uh, people who were formerly under the sway of the flesh as a sinful power have now been brought under the liberating regime of the spirit, and it truly is a liberating regime. We have been freed from that power, that enslavement to sin. We talked about the Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament, believers are sometimes referred to be in the Spirit. Or those who walk according to the Spirit. Or by the Spirit. Sometimes designated as people who are led by the Spirit. Or, you know, the blessing of knowing that we are sealed with it, with the Spirit. We also know that we ought to be filled with the Spirit. All these uh, prepositional phrases about what it means to be in the Spirit in these different ways. And they all refer or are pointing to how the Spirit works in our lives and strengthen us and, and, enables, and enabling us. Each of these phrases should make us consider how God sees us. Again, filled with the Spirit. Walking, led by, in the Spirit. How God sees us. And we should be Thankfully understand uh, how ourselves, how we should be, how we are. It should be uh, producing us thankfulness, free in the spirit to belong completely to Christ. But there is a struggle still that exists in the spirit, and in ourselves between the flesh and the spirit. In Galatians 5, verse 16. Paul writes, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, some translations say, walk by the spirit and do not gratify the the desires of the flesh. The ESV has it right here. Notice Paul here in the second part of the verse, he's not issuing a command. It's, It's not a prohibition. He's not telling believers to not fulfill the desires or the lusts of the flesh in this verse. Really what we see here is more of a promise. Do the first part, which he does command, walk by the spirit, do that. And the second part is the result. So that's a promise. How is this distinction an encouragement to us? That what we're seeing here is a promise, not a command. You know, we're, we're commanded to focus on, the li- on living in the power of the Holy Spirit. In that first part of that verse, it points us to depend completely on God for everything, you know, for strength, for endurance for discernment on what to do, whatever that might be, for wisdom. And we focus on depending on the Holy Spirit and him guiding us through God's word to live in a righteous way. Clearly living in a righteous way is the goal of walking in the spirit, in his power, this is opposed to um, us focusing negatively, uh, not giving in to our deep-set fleshly desires that are truly reminiscent of the old man. Because uh, for certain, we are commanded not to sin. And that includes not giving in to these fleshly desires. But, If we focus on the law that's given, then we may become tempted to fulfill it in our own strength and power. If we just look at that second part of that verse there, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh and turn that into a command, that that's that's where our focus is. So often in um, the fact that we are still riddled with corruption, we can um, make it about ourselves that victory is founded within ourselves if we just try hard enough no what we need to be focusing on is walking by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh that's a distinction there that's a change in focus to do otherwise is not a winning strategy Not only are we blessed with living in the power of the Spirit when we walk by the Spirit, you know, again, depending on him for everything that is good, not gratifying the desires of the flesh, we are now made more apt to do good works, to to glorify God and and enjoy him. Because we're focusing on walking in the Spirit. And what does that mean when we come to, to God? And we pray and ask him to help us walk by the spirit. Do you think that's God's will? For us to walk by? and certainly is. And he's promised to give us those things that are in accordance with His will. Our choices in life become more God-focused, and that, brothers and sisters, that is what living in Him is all about, all because of the spirit of Christ. Working in us, making us who it is that we are, who we are as Christians. This is the work of the another helper, the third person of the Trinity. The Father sends him to accomplish these things in us through the ministry of his word. Let's look at what Ezekiel prophesied concerning what the promised helper would make happen by his divine power. He says, I will take you, in Ezekiel chapter 36, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your and from your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." He does that work. That's the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He causes us to walk in the spirit. That is such a relief for those of us who knows what it's like to fail, that feels the the sorrow of it. He causes us no longer to fulfill the desires of the flesh. Paul asserts in Romans eight, verse nine, we are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Back in Galatians chapter five, Paul in verses 19 through 21, he makes a list of the works of the flesh. It's, it's a long list, but it's not an exhaustive list. All the works of the flesh clearly are not listed here, but let's, let's read these, these verses. Paul writes, now the works of the flesh are evident. Then comes the well-known description of the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Michael, uh Michael, Martin Lloyd-Jones comments here. He says, few aspects of the picture of Paul Uh, that that Paul is drawing are as important as the fact that in the warfare commenced by the spirit against the flesh, the violence that is a major characteristic of the flesh, when you look there, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, that the violence, a major characteristic of the flesh, is not by a greater violence, but rather it's meant by love, joy, and peace. The motives of the flesh are opposite to the motives of the spirit, and, so, and the same thing goes for the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Hocumai, he points that there's another different. He points out there's another difference between these two opposing powers of flesh and spirit. He says the works of the flesh are many. Again, that's a pretty long list works of the flesh are many. They are plural. But he says, the fruit of the Spirit is one. They are singular. Those characteristics listed in verses 22 to 23, that all together is fruit of the Spirit. This supports the understanding of the benefit for the believer to focus on walking in the Spirit instead of Focusing on just what you are not supposed to be doing, which of course would include all those in Paul's list 19 through 21 those works of the flesh. You know, walking in the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. So, as you walk in the Spirit, you're not going to be doing these things, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Walking the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit, which includes everything listed in verses 22 through 23. All by the power of the Spirit. Not, we don't, it's not by our power. We obey and trust. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he explains it this way. He says, the flesh is somewhat like the operator of a marionette. You know, pulling certain strings to produce certain effects. You know what a marionette is, a little puppet, right? The spirit is like, he says, is like a healthy tree or vine that continuously bears fruit. And this fruit forms a single unit, even though several of its marks can be listed, which we see verses 22 through 23. These are marks of the fruit of the spirit. Finally, in verse 24 of Galatians 5, Paul sums it up for the believer. He says uh, in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is a person who has once and for all turned his back upon the flesh. And all the works that are associated with the flesh, now walking by the Spirit, Although we may groan under the burden of the flesh, we still sin. We're still liable to commit sin. Our nature is still compromised with, the, with these corruptions. But yet we are not its subjects anymore. We are not its slaves Can a slave on its own will decide not to do what the master tells it to do? No, a slave has to do what its master does, tells it to do. We can choose not to sin. In the power of the Spirit, we live that way. In our lives, in the Spirit, we make habitual opposition to the power of sin. Now the spiritual man, the Christian, may be frequently assaulted by desires and lusts of the flesh. We know this, uh, we, we, we sorrow over it. These are the things that we often grieve the spirit with. But this, this spiritual man, the Christian, does not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. He does not permit them, and this is the distinguishing factor, he does not permit them to reign over him. Okay? Again, these are power spheres in one's life. You cannot be under the power of both at the same time, just like you can't be an old man and a new man in Christ. The Christian does not permit these fleshly desires to reign over him. But those fleshly desires can have an appearance of ruling over that person for a time. So what's the difference here in the meaning? that We're not allowing them to reign over us. That we, as scripture put to not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Because it sure feels like sometimes that's what we're doing, isn't it? We feel like we're fulfilling the desires of the flesh, but scripture says the spiritual man doesn't do this. What's the difference in meaning? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse one, he tells the church that he could not address them as spiritual people. He says that he could not address them as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. So you're kind of scratching your head going, is there a contradiction here? How are you no longer able to fulfill the desires of the flesh? But Paul says to Christians, I can't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As is apparent to you, just as it is to me, that who've been walking in the spirit for a number of years, we're fully aware of our capability of our sin-prone nature to still desire things of the flesh of the old man. That church, that Corinthian church that Paul's addressing was a church that we know full of immature believers, Paul calling them infants in Christ. For you young believers, you know, many of you are still infants in Christ. Your knowledge of the Lord is immature and just beginning to be built up. We start, we all start that way. But you are still now and forevermore in Christ. He is your king and he reigns over you. You belong to him. So don't think for a moment that you are under any other reigning power but his. But you still may live like you are indulging the flesh. These are and must be considered repented temporary acts of spiritual insanity. Because that's what it is. Is when you're thinking with a level head, one that's walking by the Spirit and the influence of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, you don't desire these things, and you see the foolishness in them. These fleshly desires, they may, as Hokema put it, they may assault you, but they will not reign over you, not if you are truly in Christ. So it is therefore incorrect to say that the Christian is part flesh and part spirit. Just as it is incorrect to say that he's part old man and part new man. He is in the spirit and has decisively renounced the way of living called the flesh. And he does this when he does not gratify the desires of the flesh. But when he does gratify the desires of the flesh, he is going contrary to what He truly and really is. It's an act of spiritual insanity. So again, the Christian's Christians view of himself is to be a positive one in this light and understanding. The believer is to look upon himself as someone who is in Christ and in the spirit and no longer in the flesh. When you, brother and sister, are feeling... The weight of sin and as the psalmist describes it the heaviness in your bones you're grieved over it you're sorrowing over it and you think i can't do this anymore this isn't going to happen this is i i'm not i'm going to allow myself to feel like i'm culpable culpable for this anymore as a, a means of defense stay away from that thought I have talked to people before, believers, who are at the brink of despair because no longer can they accept these truths that they are satisfying the desires of flesh at time. But when you are weighed down by that and you're staying in it, not allowing yourself to enjoy the, the repentance and forgiveness that God offers, you're not focusing on, the reality of who you are in Christ as already victorious in him. That these things have been crucified already with Christ. You're, for just the time being, you're not acting like yourself. It's perspective. But it's more than that, really. It's, it's trusting and believing what God has said in his word about what he's done in you. The fact that the Christian may sometimes give way to the flesh does not mean that he must modify, modify the way that he looks at himself. That I just gotta leave myself some room for sin. In those instances, again, we're just not acting like ourselves. We're acting contrary to our true purpose. There's no denying that there continues to be struggle and tension in the Christian life. Um, As the author, as Hokema puts it, he says, there's a special message of the New Testament. And it's this, he says, for those who are in Christ and therefore in the spirit, the battle against sin is to be fought in an atmosphere of victory, not of defeat. Walk by the spirit, Paul says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is a result, it is a promise. And that the guidance of the spirit can be experienced as a reality in the life of the believer, then that's more evidence of the truth of scripture and the prophetic word about what the new covenant is in our lives and how it's being fulfilled because living in the spirit and walking by him, having this heart of flesh that we read in Ezekiel, this is now a reality for us. Again, it, it testifies the truth of God's prophetic word. In Old Testament times, the Israelites knew God's law in a way that was more of an external code. Do this and you shall live. But in the New Testament era, the law of God is set in the hearts of his people, understanding it. It's written on our hearts. God's will is now for us an inward principle. The result of the leading of the spirit within the believer. Now, there is a whole lot more that we could go into and a lot can be said about walking in the spirit and when it means to be filled with the Spirit, much more than what's been said. But the point that the author is getting at here and desires to make clear is that the Christian must look at himself as one who already is victorious in Christ. We are in him, and he is in us. His Spirit is filling us um, and dwelling us and, and it marks us as a fruitful vine, as scripture puts it, a fruitful vine that will bear spiritual fruit. So that's how we should be looking at us, ourselves, to the praise of God, the glory of God, to his praise. Any questions, any thoughts on that? Truly, it's another reason to, as we go throughout this day, to be thankful to our, our, to our Father, of what he has accomplished in us, you know, to change someone who is hardened and wanted nothing to do with him into someone who is empowered by God himself and dwelt by God through the Spirit. So, praise him. Well, let me close this.